Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. Today, we are talking about one of the causes of hyperthyroidism known as Graves' disease. We will discuss what Graves' disease is and the pathophysiology behind it, signs and symptoms, treatment, and nursing interventions. I so appreciate you all being here with me week after week. If you love this episode, I highly encourage you to rate and review it as your words may be just what the next person needs to tune in and learn with us. Let's get started. Graves' disease is an autoimmune disorder that results in the overproduction and overrelease of thyroid hormones known as hyperthyroidism. Hyperthyroidism refers to a state in which the overactive thyroid produces too much thyroid hormones, specifically T3 and T4, but often is referred to and notes the increase in, of thyroxine, T4. Autoimmune disease is a condition where the immune system mistakenly attacks our healthy cells. Graves' disease is the number one most common cause of hyperthyroidism, although there are several other causes that can contribute to an overactive thyroid. Graves' disease can vary in clinical presentation, meaning that the patient can present with a wide range of symptoms that are associated with hyperthyroidism. Although Graves' disease can affect anyone, it is more common among women and people younger than 40 years of age. In a previous podcast titled Hyperthyroidism, I did describe and go through in detail thyroid hormone regulation specific to hyperthyroidism. I highly encourage you to check that out as it is important to understand the basic regulation of thyroid hormone release. Now with Graves' disease, because it is an autoimmune disorder, this causes the body to produce an antibody known as TSI, which means and stands for thyroid-stimulating immunoglobin, which the body recognizes this as TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone. To review, TSH is released by the anterior pituitary gland, which stimulates the thyroid to release T3 and T4. T3 and T4 have similar functions and are involved in the control of metabolism. They act on almost every cell in the body, increasing the metabolic rate, affecting protein synthesis, regulating bone growth, aiding in digestion, stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, regulating your heart rate, as well as body temperature. So now there is not only TSH, but an additional stimulant to the thyroid, this being the antibody called TSI, thyroid-stimulating immunoglobin that is acting on the thyroid and causing an excess release of T3 and T4. Signs and symptoms of Graves' disease include anxiety and irritability. Fine tremors of the hands and fingers can be seen. Heat sensitivity and increase in perspiration or moist skin. Weight loss, which is typically associated with normal eating habits or even increased eating habits due to excess caloric utilization. And enlarged thyroid gland can be a result of 
a increased stimulation from the TSH and the TSI itself, and this can create a goiter on the thyroid. Changes in menstrual cycle, reduced libido or erectile dysfunction in men, frequent bowel movements or even diarrhea due to the overstimulation of the GI tract can be seen. Patients may also experience increased resting heart rate and elevated blood pressure, sleep disturbances, and a unique sign and symptom of Graves' disease is bulging eyes, which is known as Graves' ophthalmopathy. About 30% of people with Graves' disease show some signs of Graves' ophthalmopathy, which includes not just the bulging of the eyes, but they can experience gritty sensation in the eyes, increased pressure or pain in the eyes, puffy or retracted eyelids, light sensitivity, vision changes such as vision loss or double vision, and they can even be noted to have redness or inflamed eyes. This is thought to be caused by the attraction of TSI, the same antibody, thyroid-stimulating immunoglobin, to the tissue around the eyes. Patients with grave disease can also develop Graves' dermopathy, which is an uncommon manifestation of Graves' disease, but it's the result of reddening and thickening of the skin most often seen on the shins or on the top of the feet. The truth is anyone can develop Graves' disease, but there are many factors that can increase the risk or likelihood of someone developing, and those being family history of Graves' disease, gender, specifically women, are much more likely to develop Graves' disease than men, age, which Graves' disease is developed in individuals less than 40 years of age usually, Individuals with other autoimmune disorders, such as type 1 diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis, have an increased risk for developing Graves' disease. Emotional or physical stress can trigger turning on genes that lead to the, to the development of Graves' disease. Pregnancy and also smoking can affect the immune system and therefore can increase the likelihood of an individual developing Graves' disease. Now let's move into talking about treatment for Graves' disease. Antithyroid medications are utilized to specifically stop the thyroid from synthesizing T3 and T4. Tapazol is a very common antithyroid medication that is used due to its very low side effect profile. However, it cannot be used in the first trimester of pregnancy, and rather PTU or propothyrosil is used, but there is a common side effect of liver failure with this medication, PTU. So we want to be sure to monitor a patient's liver en enzymes, AST and ALT. Another common side effect of antithyroid medication is agranulocytosis, which is when you have significantly low white blood cell count and most commonly neutrophils, resulting in neutropenia, which places the patient in an immunocompromised state or at high risk for infections. We can also see aplastic anemia, which is when red blood cell count is low. Another treatment option is radioactive iodine. The patient takes iodine orally, which is radioactive. The iodine will travel to the thyroid because the thyroid loves iodine, and the radioactive portion of the medication will slowly destroy the thyroid over time. This is a permanent cure. Women who are pregnant or nursing cannot take radioactive iodine. A few side effects from radioactive iodine include a metal taste in one's mouth, swollen saliva glands, and even nausea. Thyroidectomy is also a treatment for Graves' disease, meaning they go in and remove the thyroid gland. Post-operatively, you would want to monitor for thyroid storm due to the possibility that T3 and T4 may have excessively leaked into the bloodstream. Also, it's absolutely important to monitor for secondary issues with the parathyroid gland. When the thyroid gland is removed, you ultimately affect the parathyroid, which is responsible for regulation of calcium. 
You can see low levels of calcium due to decreased secretion of parathyroid hormone, also referred to as PTH. This can also lead to signs and symptoms of hypercalcemia that you want to pay close attention to. It is important to assess for respiratory distress in patients postoperatively since the incision site is right near the airway and they can experience excessive swelling. The next treatment option would be beta blockers such as propranolol or metoprolol are commonly utilized for the treatment which helps aid in the side effects that are associated with Graves disease such as tachycardia, hypertension, as well as heat intolerance. Beta blockers are not for patients who have a history of bronchospasms as they can exacerbate this. The last thing I'm going to talk about is nursing interventions for patients with grave disease. When caring for these patients, we want to keep them comfortable, meaning a cool environment because they have heat intolerance. We want it to be quiet because they can become overstimulated and you want to administer sedatives if necessary for comfort as well as monitor their weight, proper nutrition intake, blood pressure, heart rate, and EKG changes. We will monitor for thyroid storm, which is a life-threatening complication associated with excessive thyroid hormones. You want to educate your patients about their medications. It's important to talk to them about how to take their medications, including never stop the medication abruptly, that after the initial introduction of the medication, it can take a while to see results. They should take their medication at the same time every day, and they should avoid rich foods of foods that are rich in iodine, specifically seafood, eggs, dairy, and seaweed, which increase their T3 and T4 production. They should avoid aspirin as aspirin increases thyroid hormone levels. And lastly, they should monitor and be aware of signs and symptoms of toxicity, which would present as hypothyroidism, and so symptoms would include slow heart rate, fatigue, cold intolerance, constipation, and much more. Thank you all for being here with me today to learn about Graves' disease. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Instagram handle Let's Review RN. Feel free to send me a message or check out the posts that I put together, which will give you easy tips on the topics we talk about here on the podcast. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.